Right, how y'all doing? Good, good. Hey, as Sean said, my name is Mark Speeder. If you're new here, I'm the lead pastor and want to welcome you here. Um, hey, I am stoked to be starting a series in the book of Jonah. So anyone else fans of the book of Jonah? All right, if that's a newer book to you today, uh, we're going to have some fun over the next four weeks. Um, but, you know, as we start, you know, so often we see characters in the Bible that God uses kind of like this, these like superheroes of our spiritual faith kind of out here. You know, it's like the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods of the faith, you know? And, and you know, if you're fans, if you're a sports fan, you know, you get, you get posters of your sports superheroes up. You maybe take time to uh, go and get this poster signed, and, but you'd never go play with LeBron James. I mean, unless you just want to do it to be cool because, you know, you get schooled, you know, especially me. Basketball is not my forte. I would not want to play with him because it would be a joke. I'd get schooled. You know, it wouldn't even be close. Right, and so often that's kind of how we picture people who God used in Scripture. Kind of like, man, they are they are superheroes of the faith. I know I couldn't do anything like that because they were really special in God's eyes. But I know for me, you know, uh, whatever. But man, as we look closer at the story of Scripture and the people in Scripture, we see that they were ordinary, broken people who struggled with sin, who struggled with doubt, who had issues and parenting issues and daddy issues and all the issues. They were ordinary humans who God used to do extraordinary things. And possibly one of the people that we see firsthand the most brokenness in and the most wrestling with God's will and struggle is the person of Jonah. And so what you're going to see firsthand over the next four weeks, the next four chapters, I want to invite you to read along with us uh, in your own time with God. Um, what you're going to see is pretty much doubting and pouting almost the entire four chapters, right? As Jonah struggles to embrace God's will for his life, you're going to see Close to four chapters of doubting and pouting along the way, right? And, you know, that, that is strangely kind of good news for us as human beings. You see, um, God uses ordinary people like us, and I think we struggle, like Jonah, to embrace God's will at times, right? And so if we're to be honest, I think some of us in this room are going to relate to Jonah. And so... As we look at this book, we're not only going to take a look at how God would want to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things, but we're also going to, um, we're going to have an opportunity to ask some questions like, can God save a city or a nation that seems beyond hope? Or questions like, how do I deal with the will of God when it's not what I wanted for my life? Or have my mistakes caused me to miss God's will for my life? Or what is the call of God for me and how do I find it? So just for some context, Jonah was a prophet who is basically, prophets are people that declare the word of God. And Jonah specifically was a minor prophet. And so the major prophets, you have um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and then the rest of the prophetic books in the Old Testament um, are, are minor prophets. And so 
Um, and during his ministry, his ministry was during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And um, during that time in Israel, it was a time of great wealth. It was uh, some of the wealthiest time in the nation of Israel and most prosperous time since the time of Solomon. However, they were wealthy financially, but they had poverty of spirit. They, they were not alive in God. In fact, you see in, in Jonah's counterpart, Amos, who is another minor prophet, him prophesying that the people of Israel are wealthy, but they lack spiritually, and they're asleep, and they're mistreating those who have not because they're comfortable in their wealth. And so that is a time that Jonah is living in, and we're going to pick it up in chapter one of Jonah today. We're going to spend most of our time in the first six verses. So if we're most of the way through this message and we're only on verse six, don't be discouraged. You will not be here all the way through lunch, okay? So uh, I'm going to read a few chunks, make a couple points, make, read a few chunks. We'll kind of go chunk by chunk. So let's start with the first two verses of Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, so just for some context of what Nineveh is, because I think this really helps us understand what's actually happening in this story. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, who is kind of the rising other power. So Israel is having great wealth, and Assyria is kind of their political enemy or counterpart with rising with great wealth. And Assyria, and specifically the city of Nineveh, was known for being brutal and gruesome. Now, if you watch VeggieTales growing up, which I didn't, uh, the report of Nineveh was that they slapped one another with fish. And so we're going to take some time and do that today. No, they were fish slappers in Nineveh, according to Veggie Tales. But in real life, they took their captives of war and skinned them alive. They dismembered their captives piece, member by member, piece by piece. They were known for being brutal. Essentially, they're terrorists, they're the Al-Qaeda of today or whatever. And like I said, they were the political rivals of the people of Israel. Um, and in fact, Amos, like I said, who was Jonah's uh, contemporary and counterpart, had prophesied that the people uh, of Assyria would conquer the people of Israel. So they knew that Assyria was trouble for them. So you can imagine if you're an Israelite in that time, you don't like Assyria. You feel threatened by them. Your political power and wealth feels threatened by them. And they were gruesome. You just didn't like them. You didn't want to be around them. And yet God cares about them. Yet God cares. Now, he didn't overlook their sin. You see him addressing their sin right here. But because of their sin, God wanted to have mercy on them. God wanted the opportunity to withhold judgment. God wanted to pour out his love on a gruesome, murderous, gross, you know, gross in how they're living uh, people who would have been canceled very quickly by today's culture, right? That's, our human, that's not our human inclination is to have mercy and to look for opportunities to be patient and show mercy. And that is what God is doing because God loved Nineveh. And God loved Assyria, even though they were his people's enemies. 
John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. So often as Christians, we're afraid of the world. We're freaking out because the world. God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son. God loved the world so much that a perfect God stepped into a broken humanity, subjected himself to sinful people like you and I, and stepped into the mess with us so much that he gave his life for us. That is what God is calling Jonah to do. And what Jonah wasn't willing to do, Jesus did. And listen to this, as the Father sent his son Jesus, so Jesus sends you and me. And so I want to say that tension that you and I feel of living in a broken world with people we don't like at times, with people that vote or think differently than you and I, people that have yard signs that would be different from the yard sign we'd choose, with people that uh, would, would do things or mask differently or life differently or have a different value set. I want to say the tension that you feel, that's good because that's what Jesus felt. That's a good tension. You see, um, you, each and every one of you, I believe, has a calling from the living God. And God didn't place you where he places you in your calling because it's comfortable or because everyone there listens to Air One and gives to the pledge drive or because everyone has the same value set as you. No, no, he puts you there because he has compassion for broken people in a broken world. And guess what? You and I are broken just like them and need that same compassion. You are all called, and God wants your calling to be compelled by his compassion. God has abundant compassion for a broken world and he wants your and my calling to be compelled by his compassion. God wants to break your heart for the things that break his heart. In a world that says cancel, in a world that says run, in a world that says demonize people that are differently than you and that you can just get rid of people that you don't like, God wants to give you a broken heart for what breaks his heart and gives you compassion. I wonder how God feels about the people that you're around. I wonder how God feels about the people that might drive you or I crazy at times. Now, this brings up the question of calling. I know for a lot of us, a big question we have is like, how do I discern my calling? What is my calling? And some of us are freaking out today, and we've been overthinking our lives because we don't know what our calling is, okay? And so to help me kind of explain this, I want to break it into two parts. That is calling and assignment. James and I were talking about that this week, calling and assignment. So Jonah was called to be a prophet. Jonah's assignment was to Nineveh. He was to do that calling in Nineveh right now. So let me put a little slide up here to kind of help us understand this. Um, Specifically, our identity, right, is who you are. That doesn't change. That's why you do what you do, and it's where your value comes from. If you try and find your value and your calling or your assignment, you're going to ride the roller coaster, 
right, of emotions. If it's going good, you're going to feel like you a rock, right? If it's going poorly in your calling or assignment, you're going to be discouraged. So your identity is who you are. That's why you do what you do in your calling. That you're, and that doesn't change. You are a child of the living God. You see, I'm, I'm not a pastor first. I'm a son of God. A pastor is just what I do. I'm not, you know, a dad. I'm his beloved. A dad is what I do. My value doesn't hinge on my success as a pastor. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And that gives me confidence to stand up here today. Same for you. Our calling is what we're designed to do, right? That may evolve some over the course of our life, and we'll definitely probably get clearer on that as we get older. Uh, But that is what we're designed to do. Our assignment is where we're currently at or what God is telling you specifically what you need to be doing next. That is where you live out your calling as you live from your identity, okay? And that will probably, you know, change over the course of time. That will evolve. And um, so when we think about what is my calling, you see, some of us, we feel clear on our calling early on. And then what God does is he gives us assignments, especially in our younger years, that don't seem to line up with our calling oftentimes because he's preparing our character to be able to sustain our calling. And so some of us are frustrated because we know we have a passion, we have a long, maybe we've got a word from God. Maybe you're sitting here today, you you know what you want to do and it feels subtly out of reach. And I want to say, God knows where he has you and why he has you there because he's preparing your character to be able to sustain the powerful calling on your life. So I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. You're in good company of David, right? Of Abraham, right? Of Joseph, and, and you're in good, of Jesus, right? Jesus had to be patient to live out his calling. For many of us, we're not certain about our calling, but we're on different assignments that are helping us to clarify our calling. And so for many of us, we're hopping around and you feel like, man, I got a degree over here. I'm doing this over here. I don't even know why I need to do this next. And I'm trying to pay my bills and you're trying to figure out where is God in all this? God gives us assignments often to clarify, not only prepare our character, but to clarify our calling along the way. And there's no trial runs in the kingdom of God. So if you're doing something you don't feel called to, you can still bless people. You can still store up treasures in heaven. You can still advance his kingdom doing what you're doing there right now. And again, especially for those of you who are younger, I want to encourage you, if you feel discouraged about this process, you don't want to plateau in your impact and your calling when you're 30. You want to plateau in your calling and your career and your impact in your 50s, 60s, 70s, right? So I want to encourage you, if you're trying to figure that out, it's okay. You've got time. If you'll be faithful where God has you, God is preparing you for where he's taking you. All right? So I want to encourage you that God has called all of you. God has a calling on your life. And God has assigned you where you are for a purpose and impact, whether that is in a workplace, a neighborhood, a school. Um, God has you where you are. Okay? So let's take a look at the next three, four verses, and take a look at Jonah's response, his initial response to this calling, okay? Let's look at verse three through six. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. When the mariners were afraid, each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down, gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call out to your God, for perhaps God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. Okay. So Jonah freaks out. Jonah not only freaks out, he runs the opposite direction. And I just want us to step in, right, because I think something that we're all growing in today in today's world is empathy. I want to give Jonah a little empathy here for a second. You got to feel it for the guy, right? He, he, for context, Jonah's last assignment was to the, the people of Israel to preach a message. You see this in 2 Kings, I believe, 14, to preach a message of prosperity. And that came to pass. So here is the prosperity preacher, you know, and he, he's good. Everyone loves him in Israel because he is like, he brings that positive message. And, and it was what God wanted to say, that the God was going to prosper and extend their borders. God had anointed him in his last assignment to be that kind of, you know, positive. And he is, he is proclaiming that God wants to do good things. And here is prosperity guy gets called to the terrorist. <laughs> And he goes, you know, from, from being the guy that everyone loves to a place where everyone might hate him. You got you to gotta feel it for Jonah for a minute, okay? We got to give him a little empathy because I might do the same thing if I'm Jonah, right? So we don't know for sure. We can, we can see some things later in the book that he was probably feeling and what was coming up. We see it come out later in the book. But, but we don't know fully. You can imagine, let's just imagine for a minute what Jonah might have been feeling. He might have been feeling them. God, they're our political enemies. All of us want them to get taken down. And if they turn to you, what does that mean for Israel? We might lose our political power. We might lose our wealth. We might lose, right? Don't you love how the word is always relevant? I'm just saying Jonah, you care about them? Because me and all my friends, we can't stand them. We talk about how we love people and how God blesses us to bless the nations, but on the, on the closed doors, God, we all talk about how we can't stand them. Right? <laughs> all right. Maybe he's saying, God, my fingers are going to get chopped off. Like, literally, I'm going to lose my skin. <laughs> Maybe he's saying, I don't even know if this is going to work. This doesn't make sense on paper. Surely, God, there's a better job description out there for me. You know, the compensation's not enough. <laughs> the overtime's not enough. The, the margin for error, God, is extremely small. <laughs> I'm not going to like my managers or, you know, whatever. He, he is freaking out. And on top of that, what we're going to see later, his, his own cultural superiority that he may not even be aware of what's going to starts to get triggered and come out here. And so, 
The reality is for all of us, the process of embracing God's will for our lives, the process of embracing our calling and our assignment will bring up stuff in our heart. You see, I really believe no one has ever embraced the entire will of God joyfully. We like parts of the will of God. <laughs> we like the blessing. We like the fruit. And we, we in the West, we love spirituality that's up and to the right. I put in my prayer, I see results. I put in my Bible reading, I get free right? I put in my time here, and boom, stuff happens. God works for me, baby. But when I read this, it's not always up and to the right. Like Jeremiah, his calling just sucked. <laughs> like, like he's a weeping prophet because it just, you know, no one would listen to him. None of us have embraced God's will for our lives, all of it, with joy, right? It's not a straight line. There's parts of it that's not what you and I would have planned for our life, right? It's not always our best life now, right? And so often what I'll find is we'll love the idea of our calling, but we'll despise parts of our assignment. <clears throat> we love the idea of being called to deliver people and set captives free. We love the idea of planting churches or the idea of shaping the medical world for the glory of God or, or bringing Jesus into a neighborhood or, or, you know, shaping the next generation of our kids to love Jesus and outrun us. We love the idea of our calling and we despise parts of our assignment, right? Because the deal is the assignment is where the rubber meets the road. The assignment is where we have to actually get out and love, get out of the boat and love people that we don't like. The assignment is where we need the character of patience, right? The assignment is where we need to, um, to, to, to have faith because it won't make sense on paper. The assignment, right, is where we actually have to look more like Jesus. And that's painful, and that's hard, and that triggers things in our heart. That triggers things in our character. That, that, that messes with our preference set. So God gives us a calling, and then he gives us assignments to not only impact lives, but to shape us to be more like him. But you see, Jonah didn't handle this too well. <clears throat> so just to give you a map to illustrate how poorly Jonah handled this and freaked out like we all do at times, Jonah was here in Joppa. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, 500, 550 miles away. What Jonah really did, right, it's like the Instagram pictures, like you're supposed to, and this is what real life over here. Jonah flipped out, and Tarshish was known at that time to be the end of the known world. So Jonah literally picked the end of the known world and fled there. Now just stop and think about this. First of all, some of us relate to this. You're like, oh, I've done that before, I want to do that, and if I'm to be honest, right? Jonah ended up paying five times more because he disobeyed than if he would have obeyed, right? He ended up paying five times more. You know, I tell people, this is like partially theological. This is pretty theologically true. Don't hang your hat on this. Uh, but God's will, God's bill. If God calls you to something, he's going to provide for it. It may take sacrifice on your part, but God is going to provide, right, if something is his will. 
But if you're running and doing your will, who's fronting the bill? It's probably you and I, right? You see, there's a, there's a cost to our disobeying Jesus. There's a cost, as this, as this passage says, to flee from God's presence, right? Jonah is not just wrestling with God's will like we all do. Like, if you're not wrestling with God's will, then, you know, we might need to have a, you can pray for me. Um, but, but Jonah is just outright taken off and fully disobeying, right? There's a cost, right? The call of God will cost you something. The assignment of God will cost you something. But running from it and disobeying God will cost you more. Running from God's purposes and trying to live and, and hold on to all our pet sins is complex. To be doing this thing on the side and then to appear that we're not doing it on the side so we can sustain that. To have, you know, to go back into our internet filters and our blockers and worry about all that and worry about what everyone's looking at and what, what other people think about us and put on a face for this person, a different face for this person, different. That is tiring. I don't know what, what it is for you that you might be tempted to do, because we're all, we're all tempted, right? But it is tiring to run from God's best for our lives. It will always cost us something. Now, we're going to see here that our disobeying not only costs us, it costs people around us. Because everyone in this story starts to freak out because of the storm. Our rebellion or disobeying God will, all, will always cost people more than us. It will affect more than just us. So here we got Jonah. What's he doing here in the boat? He's snoozing. <laughs> He's sleeping, right? This isn't like the kind of Jesus sleeping in the storm that we want. This is sometimes you can harden your heart so much to the presence of God that you can just be dead and not care. You can just not care that your life is affecting other people. You cannot care that you're, you're grieving the heart of God, right? We, we've all gone our own way at times, and maybe you've experienced this. And so um, these guys get Jonah, and they're like, what are you doing? You need to wake up and pray. Now, this is ironic, right? With that old song, isn't it ironic? It's like rain on your wedding day. And he had 90s kids, hey, <clears throat> right? That's right. This is ironic. We've got an unbeliever. We've got unbelievers telling the believer to be a believer. <laughs> hey, if you pray, they got more faith than Jonah in this moment, right? They, they, they've got to wake him spiritually. And man, I believe in this hour, whether the world knows it or not, the world is wanting us to be the church. But some of us are sleeping. We're asleep because we're so afraid of what's happening in the world, we miss God. We're asleep because we, we've gotten too busy, or we're asleep because of the, and this has been a hard season, but some of us, we've gotten, after, we've gotten spiritually atrophied, 
And man, this is the hour, I believe, more than any other hour in the recent decades where the world is looking to the church to have hope, is looking for the church to have a God that is alive, is to look, is looking to the church to have a Savior who actually modeled the way and the truth and the life and the way forward and hope in a world. I believe the world may, whether they know it or not, is wanting the church to arouse and show the way forward to a God who's alive. And so the good news in all this, because I think we can relate to Jonah at times, that in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. In the world's brokenness, God is faithful. Jonah said, I'm out. And God said, okay, that's your choice, but I'm coming right behind you, right? (laughs) You can decide to run from God or his purposes in your life, but don't be surprised if he whips up a storm in your life. You might well say, well, you know, that's not nice of God or whatever. No, 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 let me tell you, you want God to pursue you. You want, you want a loving father to pursue you in your brokenness, in your struggles, and your rebellion. We've all had them. We all have them. You want a father who's going to lovingly come after you. You see, he was in control of the storm the whole time. We see it in the, in the later scriptures. He controls the wind and the waves. And so let me tell you, if, if you're running and you got a storm, God's still in control. He loves you. For my kids, is it loving if I just leave them in their sin? And never address it and remind them of who they really are. Kid psychologist Sissy Goff, she said, if I leave my kids in my sin and don't remind them, not only how they ought to behave, but who they really are as loved children, she said, I leave them to believe the worst about themselves. God comes after us, not only to bring us hope again in our despair, but to remind us that we're his kids, we're people of the light, and we're people that run to him and not from him. In fact, that is a defining characteristic of God. He doesn't just leave us in our sin, but he lovingly comes after us. We see that in Jesus. God so loved the world, remember that he sent his only son. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastens the one he calls a son. See, when I discipline my kids, I'm not just slapping them up or yelling at them. I am sitting them down. And yes, there are consequences, but we're having a conversation and I'm walking them through why it was wrong. And also, let me remind you this. I don't do it perfectly, by the way, if you're a parent out there and you're like, oh, you know, wouldn't that be nice to, I don't do it perfectly, but I'm calling them up to be who I know God made them to be. I'm calling them forward. And every time I, uh, we, we go through a discipline process, I'm speaking identity. I'm speaking life. Yes, I'm addressing sin. And yes, there's consequences. But I'm trying to speak life, call them up, speak identity, speak purpose so they know who they are. Right? One preacher said it like this. If you claim to be a Christian and you're in rebellion and God ain't coming after you, then you might be someone else's kid. Right? So we want God to come after us in love. God loves you too much to allow you to stay in your sin. 
Because he has better purposes for you and I. And what you see here in the entire book of Jonah is humanity's unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. Humanity's unbelief and God's hope that he brings. You see humanity's sin and, 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 and bad of the world and you see the goodness of God in the midst of it. You see, God is more committed to people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus than the church will ever be. And God is more committed to your formation and your calling than you will ever be. None of us have a straight line into our calling. None of us have a straight line. We want to impact the world around us. None of us have a straight line to impacting and loving people around us because we're humans. We screw up and God's plan is always, you know, a curvy road instead of a straight line. But listen, That doesn't mean he's going to bless your disobedience or remove all your consequences, but it does mean that your past failures do not completely eject you from God's purposes for your life. And that's a word for some of us today. It's never too late to come back to God. He is ready for you. And so in these last verses and the last little bit of time, um, we see what I believe is the beginning of Jonah's repentance. We see his prayer of repentance in chapter two. We're gonna have a good time next week. But I believe this is the beginning of his repentance. This will be our last short segment. Um, Here we go, verse seven. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) So they're like, your God's doing this? Come on, bro, you know? Um, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, what is this that you've done? (laughs) For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more, um, how do you say that word? I know, (laughs) tempestuous, tempestuous. Yes, I think that's how you say it. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me that you, that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. I love their their compassion for him, trying to help him out. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called to the Lord, Lord, let let us not perish in this man's life, and and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done for for it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, for they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're going to talk more about the fish next week. We'll have a great illustration. I'll throw a couple people in. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, But like I said, I, I believe what we see here is the beginning of Jonah's repentance. Jonah gets awakened, I believe, not only physically, but it begins to be awakened spiritually. You see, repentance isn't feeling bad. Repentance isn't trying harder. Repentance isn't groveling in shame. Repentance is a decisive choice to change our mind and our direction about something. 
right? And so Jonah knows what he needs to do. <laughs> Throw me in. He knows what he needs to do. Hey, I've, this whole boat is my disobedience. Like this whole situation is a picture of my disobeying. And the longer I'm in this boat going the wrong direction, the longer I am rebelling against God. So just throw me in and I'm just going to trust God. He knew what he needed to do. And it's funny that the, the other mariners, they, they tried to, to help him out. And what they tried to do, they tried to change their situation without repentance. They tried to change, right, without Jonah having actually to change his direction. Jonah knew what he needed to do. And you see, it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to come back to God and his purpose and his will. You've never done too much that has gotten you outside. But when you do, you've got to let go of your own way of doing it. You can't do it your way and God's way. We don't hang on to the stuff that God says is disobeying and get God's blessing, right? If we need find ourselves running from God or disobeying, we need to eject ourselves for whatever boat we're in, taking us that direction, and throw ourselves into the arm of God. And here's what I've found. That's not comfortable. Sometimes that's embarrassing. That takes a lot of humility. Sometimes that messes up with our pocketbook and practical things in our life and relationships. It takes trusting God. But when you repent, God will always make a way. When you repent, God will always make a way for you to not only escape temptation, but will make a way for you on the other side. In this case, Jonah, uh, God provided a fish. Talk about that fish next week. God provided a fish. And I believe in our case, he provided Jesus. You see this. He is patient, not anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God made a way. Whatever sin you have possibly done and will even do in the future, Jesus has taken it on the cross so that you could not only be forgiven, but washed clean and made completely new. There's always grace to come back into the arms of Jesus. There's no sin you've done or no shame you're carrying that is too much for God. There's no mistake you've made that is too much for him. And maybe some of us today, we need to come back to Jesus. Maybe for the 10th time or the 100th time or maybe some of us for the first time today, we need to call upon the name of Jesus and be forgiven and saved because our life and our world is like this storm so often and we need to turn to Jesus and he may not change the storm, but he can calm the storm within. So some of you today, your response needs to be coming to Jesus. But three simple questions I want to ask for the rest of us, especially those of us who would claim the name of Jesus and following Jesus. Where is the assignment that God has called you to? Because I said, we've all got a calling and we've all got an assignment where is the assignment that God has called you to? My second question is, what does that bring up in your heart? Like, honestly, I'm not saying like the, the Christian version, like, oh, I just love them so much and I pray for them every day and they're just great and I love everything about my job. And I, you know, no, 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 no. Like, like I, there's some things I love and there's some people I can't stand. And what that does to me 
is that makes me impatient. It makes me frustrated. I want another job. I want to eject from my calling at times, you know? Like, let's be honest, because God wants to meet you there, not in the cute Christian version of it. You know what I mean? God wants to meet you where you're really at. So be honest with God where you're really at. And then lastly, how might God give you his heart in that gap? It's not you cleaning up your life and learning to love people better in your own strength. This guy's saying, God, I, I stink sometimes, but you don't, and you're loving. So I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to receive your love, not just for me, but for them. God, how do you feel about these people? Who <laughs> drive me crazy at times, right? How might God feel about those people? How might God feel about your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, wherever he has you on assignment, how might God feel? As I said earlier, God wants to break our heart with the things that break his heart. In college, I prayed that prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Break my heart for people who are in your heart. (laughs) And it's been a ride. God's taken me to nations. God, I've led people to Jesus in all different continents. And I've led people to Jesus right in my neighborhood. It has been a wild ride. I haven't always said yes perfectly. But for some of us today, it starts, okay, God, you called me here. Now break my heart for my coworkers. God, break my heart for my neighbors. God, break my heart for my classmates. I believe God is going to take us on a journey, not only the next four weeks, but a journey into a new season. Man, and does our world need it more than ever right now? And I believe for some of us, <clears throat> we have been despising where we are. <laughs> We've been despising some people where God wants to give you his heart. For some of us, we want to step out. Our yes is there, but we feel like we're lacking power. We feel like we're lacking courage. We need help. And good news is we have one who Jesus called the helper. It's the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you his power to be his witness and to bring his love and to bring his fruit where you are. And for some of us, we're just tired of running. We're tired. And you need to fall into Jesus' arms today. And you're going to find that he is so kind. If you repent, you're going to find he is so kind. Some of you are so tired, and Jesus wants to give you rest. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If our prayer team can be available, I'm going to pray as we respond. Father, thank you. I just feel like God is saying to some of us today, you know, man, I feel a little overwhelmed by thinking about loving others. I'm just trying to make it. And I feel like God just wants to speak to some of us. I can do more through your weakness than you can do through your strength. So when we think about our assignment where God has us, don't look at what you can do. Start thinking about what he can do. Because by surrendering your own strength to his strength, 
surrendering your weakness to his strength. Father, thank you for your presence. And we say, Spirit of God, come. Holy Spirit, anoint us, fill us, empower us. Just this impression praying of some of us need to repent of our fears. We've had vain imagination of what people would think and do to us, and we haven't even given them a chance to do that to us. We're believing the worst about our coworkers and our friends, and we're afraid to step out. And some of us need to repent for believing the worst of other people. Lord, we repent for, for assuming that we'll be rejected, for assuming that people don't want to hear about you, for assuming the worst. We repent for believing fear and living in fear. And God, lift our eyes to you to have courage today. Let's stand and respond to whatever the Lord's doing in your heart. Like I said, prayer team, be available. If I can have a couple more leaders over here, um, maybe a couple families, leaders over here, um, available to pray for people. Let's respond to the Lord. Thank you.